0: I'm very excited about this new series that I'm starting next week, and I hope every one of you will be back here for it. In fact, I hope that you'll bring somebody with you, because when I mention to you uh, what I'm going to share, and I'll just do it real briefly, uh, the reality is there's probably somebody in your sphere of influence that um, maybe will even come to your mind and you just say, I need to get them here with me, a family member, a friend, somebody that uh, you know works where you work. And so what I'm going to talk to you about uh, beginning next week, and it'll be for four weeks, is don't lose heart. I'm going to talk to you straight out of the Bible. You'll see as we do each week. I'm going to give you a lot of Scripture this morning. And because we all need to get a lot of the Word of God into our lives, we just need it. And we're going to do that in this series. We're going to look at tons of Scripture and what the Bible says because we don't have to lose heart. And I wish that I could stand, and I'll mention this to you next week. I wish that I could stand. Nothing I'd enjoy more than than looking at all of you and saying, "Guess what? You are never going to have another problem the rest of your life." How many of you would accept that if I could offer that to you? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Uh, but the reality is, we know that that's not accurate. You're wiser than that. You're you're more sensible than that. You know that there are challenges, and from time to time, and in fact, we see it in the Bible: people that had uh, tough, tough challenges, yet they refused to give up, and they would not. Uh, They would not lose heart. They face enormous adversity, and that's going to happen to you, and it's going to happen to me. But the Bible gives us some very specific ways, and I'll get into this because we've got we've got this battle going on. I don't know if you know this or not, and I'm not talking about uh, you know uh, geopolitical uh, battles or military battles. I'm not talking about that at all. But the Bible says that you are I, and we're going to get into this in this series. You've got to be here for this series. It is so important. There's three battles that is always going on. There's the battle in the world. It's sort of the cultural pressure that tries to pull us down, tear us down. You're involved, whether you know it or not, you're involved in that battle. Let me tell you another battle that you're involved in. See, I come from the belief in the Bible that there actually is, when the Bible says there is a devil, that there is Satan, that it's not some figurative, uh, you know, it's not metaphorical language, that it's actually a devil. And there's real evil in the world. Don't you believe that? I believe that. And the reality is you and I are involved in a battle in the world. We're involved with a battle uh, with the evil one who hates us, by the way, because we belong to God. But then there's a third battle, and you may not even think about this one that, that often. And that is there is the battle within you, and there's the battle that is within me. The battle in the world, the Bible says there's a battle in the world, the battle with our flesh, and the battle with the devil. And so, these are the battles, and that's why sometimes you just feel like, man, why do I just keep pressing on? And I'm going to talk to you in this series about those battles, and I'm going to talk to you about how you and I can just stand strong and not lose heart. I hope you're going to be here for that. Now, this morning, I'm going to talk to you. Maybe you've never heard a message out of the Bible. You've heard of this guy, and you think about him quite often, even during the rainy season. His name is Noah. And you think about Noah in the rainy season. And maybe you've never heard a message about Noah before. And here's what I'm hoping is going to happen in the next few moments that you and I have together, that you're not just going to walk out of this place and say, I know know a little bit more about Noah now. I know a little bit about what happened. I know about the ark. I mean, that would, you know, that would be good. I would hope that that would happen. But here's what I want us to do after sort of the first half of this talk. I want to talk to you about the story and the events surrounding this life but then what I want to do in the second half is I want to talk to you about some valuable lessons that we can learn from Noah. Noah was very, very persistent. He faced tremendous obstacles. In fact, I'll get into some of these. Uh, and let me go ahead and give you a hint. You know, I don't mind doing that. I'll, I'll go ahead and lay this hint out, and we'll talk about it. Uh, do you know that when God said to Noah, Noah, here's what I want you to do. I want you to build an ark, what you may not know is there is a high probability that Noah has never even seen rain before. You think about that, and you I'll get to it, all right? So, uh, I'll get to that, but he was very persistent in, in in the face of mockery and ridicule, and you know, build an ark. Why build an ark? And you know, God, are you really talking to me? He he just demonstrated persistence. He refused to let go of what God was saying to him. In fact, God spoke to him about some things he could not yet even see, and he just held on. I, I love this quote. You're going to see it on the screen. The guys are going to put it up on on the screen here. Winston Churchill, who said, "The nose of a bulldog is slanted backwards." This is true, so he can continue to breathe without letting go, all right? That's true. And some of you are saying, I know why you put that, because of the Georgia Bulldogs. That is not true, because the Georgia Bulldogs cannot hold on to anybody too long. They let them loose, and they score touchdowns, all right? So that's a real problem for us. So this is not a Georgia Bulldog. This is like a a bulldog, a real bulldog. So I want to talk to you for the next few moments about the perseverance of Noah, and uh, to get us started, I want you to look at these two verses. Let's jump right into it. Again, it's going to be a lot of Scripture. I want you to hang in here with me because once we look at his story, his life, the, and the circumstances around it, then I'm going to share with us what we can do, what we can learn, all right? So this is chapter 6. Look at verses 5 and 6. Here we go. The Lord saw how evil human beings had become on the earth. It's out of control. All day long. Think about this now, all day long, their deepest thoughts were nothing but evil, all day long, that's all they're thinking about is evil, Uh, all day long, and and this is an interesting phrase, and we're going to come to it, I'm going to talk uh, a little bit about this covenant that God would reestablish with humanity, but the reality at this point is the Lord was sorry that he had made humans on the earth, and he was heartbroken, he was heartbroken, why, because of all of the evil. Now, in Noah's day, it says right here that, uh, that there was a fixation on evil. And it says all day long, every day. It wasn't like somebody would have a fleeting thought. It wasn't like there'd be something that somebody would come into somebody's mind that was bad or wrong or evil. It was like perpetually, continually on evil all day. You think about it, 24-7. Now, when I read these two verses, there are a couple of things that are notable and intense to me, uh, one of which is the sorrow that God feels over the apex of his creation. It's like God, when you think about it fundamentally, God created us to love us. God created us to, uh, to enjoy fellowship and communion with us. He created us to, uh, to, to know him and for him to know us, and, and yet God created us with this free will where we make our own choices. God never said to his creation, he didn't do it then, he doesn't do it now, he doesn't say, oh, by the way, I created you, therefore I'm gonna force you to serve and to honor and to love me. God did not do that. God has never done that. So he hoped that that would happen, he created people to love people and be in relationship with people and they with him, but now because of their own ability to make decisions, people are in constant evil. The evil is comprehensive. It is constant. It never ends. Their godliness, their godlessness, their wickedness, their violence has reached a crisis. And we come front and center with this uh, right here in Genesis, the early pages of the book of the Bible, that civilization was out of control. Now, take that into consideration. Look at these next two verses. Guys, go put them up here. This is verses eight and nine. Now, having considered what we just saw, now we read but Noah found favor with the Lord. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was what kind of man? He was a righteous man. Think about the culture that he's in. He was a righteous man. He was the only blameless person living on earth at the time. Time out. Let's go ahead and do a time out. So what, go back to what we mentioned first in the first couple of verses, 5 and 6. What is it that we know about humanity? What do we know about God's creation? They are on evil. They're fixated on evil all day, every day. And in the, in the middle of this, there lives this man named Noah. And he was the most blameless person living at that time. And he walked. This is what God intended for everybody. But this is being lived out in Noah's life. He walked in close fellowship with God. So in the midst of rampant evil, there is one righteous man. And Noah enjoys this vibrant, authentic relationship with God. And it's truly amazing when you think about it, because we're talking about sort of his perseverance to just keep on pressing on when things are not always clear to him. He is uniquely righteous in what is a totally corrupt age. And there's no evidence whatsoever. You can read it. I'm not going to get into it, but read it on your own. Go back and read the story, and you're going to notice that there is no mentioning of Noah belonging to any kind of inspiring church or that he had any support structure whatsoever, or that he belonged to an accountability group who kept, you know, kept him on track, or that he had even one godly friend. There is no evidence of any of those things being true, which leads us to this reality, spiritually speaking, Noah is flying solo. He's in the middle. Remember, it's just chaos. It's uh, civilization out of control, perpetual evil all day, every day, people's minds. That's all they can think about is more and more evil. And here's a man who was righteous and blameless in the sight of God. Let's keep moving. Verses 13 and 14. Look at these verses. So God said to Noah, this righteous guy, Here's what I'm going to do. I am going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely, this is God now, I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark. And I think when God said, Noah, I want you to make yourself an ark, I think Noah said, okay, what's an ark? Like, what are you talking about? Make yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms in it, and coat it with pitch inside and out. So now all this evil, and God's speaking to this one righteous man, and he's saying, You know, you know, you live in it, you're you're saturated by it, you're surrounded by it. Everywhere people are thinking, this was not my intended plan for my creation. And no, I'm I'm about to destroy. I'm, I'm about to destroy the earth, um, you know, humanity uh it's going to be very very uh, bad i never wanted to do this it's going to be very very bad but uh here's what i want you to do i want to protect you and i want to protect your family i'm going to honor your your relationship with me your commitment to me and so i want you to build an ark now god sends this warning uh to noah he not only tells noah to build the ark But he also gives him some very specific instructions. We didn't look at all of those as to what he must do in building this ark. Now, again, keep in mind, he is subjecting himself to tremendous mockery and ridicule. Uh, he's building an ark. and nobody's ever seen an ark. There's not a prototype uh, that nobody's seen a picture of an ark. Nobody's been talking about an ark. And now God is s- saying, "Build an ark." So he begins construction. Now this is not some minor project. All right, this is this is mammoth. You may find this interesting. Uh, I certainly did when I was reading and preparing for this talk. When the ark was totally completed, I want you to think about the, the dimensional nature of it. It was considerably longer. Than a football field. How many of you know? How long is a football field? How long? All right, 100, I think I heard it. 100 yards, include the end zone. Now we have 120, and it is considerably longer than a football field. It was actually the ark that Noah's gonna build, actually three stories high, divided into three different floors. The ark provided a total of, listen to how many square feet of living area. 101,250 square feet of uh, living area. This is not like a little front yard project. I mean, this, you can't miss it. You cannot miss it. And this is not some massive metropolitan community that he's living in. He's building an ark, and people are walking by, and they're saying, what are you doing? I'm building an ark. What's an ark? It's this, don't you see? And why are you building the ark? Because God said he's going to destroy the earth and everything. And how's God going to do that? He's going to send rain. Really, what's rain? So Noah is having to contend with all of of this, and here he is, surrounded by this culture. I love this next verse. In fact, I want you to read this verse with me. This is verse 22 out of the same chapter. I want all of us to read it together. Let's read it. Here we go. Noah did everything God commanded him to do. He did everything. It was like, yes, sir, God, whatever you want me to do. You want me to build an an ark? All right, don't know why, but I'm going to build it. Uh, you said it's going to rain, and so, all right, and so I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it, uh, again, dimensionally, exactly the way you tell me to do it. He was not only a righteous and blameless man, he was completely obedient. This is the story of Noah, his obedience, his blamelessness, his, his commitment to God. Now, look, uh, next chapter, I'm just jumping ahead a little bit, but I want you to look at verses 11 and 12 out of chapter 7. It said, when Noah was 600 years old, all right, that's, that's old, all right, <laughs> 600 years old. People lived a lot longer back then, of course. 600 years old, on the 17th day of the second month, all the underground waters erupted from the earth. And the rain fell in mighty torrents from the sky. Now, the former is probably a lot of scholars believe that the former has happened. That there has been not an eruption of sorts, but they, but that the earth had been watered. I mean, vegetation and life and plant form and such needed needed to be sustained. Uh, sustained, and so a lot of scholars believe that although it had not rained to this uh, prior to this time, that there were these subterranean waters that would replenish the earth and refresh the earth. But now it is so incredibly different. The waters erupted from the earth and rain fell in mighty torrents from the sky. The rain continued to fall. How long? 40 days and 40 nights. Now, according to what we read, this uh, persistent rain in water, as I mentioned to you from the subterranean sources, raises the water level uh, above the highest mountain peaks. For about one year, knowing his family... Were held in the ark about one year and this is what the bible says the bible says that god was heartbroken that it had to happen but divine judgment had now made its arrival this was not i repeat god's intended plan god had never wanted to destroy creation he did not as i mentioned to you already and i repeated mindfully that he created his people to love and to be in fellowship and communion with. And yet because they had this this fallen nature, this ability to choose wrong decisions or right decisions, good or evil, they chose evil. And so God now is having to execute divine judgment upon the people of the earth, and God is heartbroken as a result of that. I'm going to come back to that in just a moment, but I want us to jump ahead a couple of more chapters. Now, this is Genesis 9, let's begin in at verse 11, Genesis nine eleven. This is God speaking. He said, now here's what's going to happen. I'm going to establish, because God is not through with his creation. God is not through with humanity. He had to judge the earth, but he said, I'm going to establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be cut off by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign." and it's amazing. You I, Go back and read these verses sometime, and just in your Bible, or make a note how many times God talks about this renewed covenant that He's going to have. This is the sign of the covenant I'm making between me and every living creature with you. A covenant, here it is again, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds. And we've all seen this and been driving along and think, wow, look at that, that's beautiful, that's rainbow. And this is the, the activity of God. And it will be the sign of, here it is again, the covenant between me and the earth. Look at the next portion. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again, God said, I had to do this. I didn't want to do this, but I did it. And never again, though, will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. To this point, and I know some of you who have not been around church Uh, Very long, and and maybe uh, you just think maybe you already have sort of the mental persuasion that God is mean or harsh or angry or cruel. I hope you don't feel that way, but sometimes you know people do because they don't understand, you know, the totality of what is playing out in Scripture. And a lot of people could look at this and say, Wow, you know, that seems rather harsh that God would send a flood. And, and just destroy all humanity. But this is the point that a lot of people do not know. Do you know how long God had been warning people? Do you know how long? How long? God had been warning people not 120 days, not 120 weeks, not even 120 months. Do you know that before God ever sent the flood that God had been warning people for 120 years that this was going to happen? But they refuse to repent. They refuse to turn from their evil. They're like, forget God. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'll do evil. I'll think evil. My life is going to gravitate toward evil. I'm going to think about it when I get up in the morning. I'm going to think about it. Um, when I go to bed at night, I'm going to think about it every moment in between. I am committed to evil. And God says, year after year, 420 years, I want you to turn toward me. I want to bless your life. But I can't bless your life if this is how you're going to lead. Live your life. So 120 years of warning preceded this judgment upon a people who refused, who utterly refused to release their grip on evil. Once you understand that, it makes verses like this a lot more understandable. Look at this next verse. 2 Peter 3, 9 says this. The Lord isn't slow about keeping his promises, as some people think he is. In fact, this is what was going on then even. In fact, God is patient, and God was patient with them. Think about this now. For 120 years, God is patient. Why? Because He wants everyone to turn from sin and no one to be lost. God didn't want one person. God didn't want an animal. God didn't want a plant. Anything that God created, God God did not want that to be destroyed. God was patient. Why? Because He wanted every human being to turn from sin. He didn't want anybody to be lost. But again and again and again, people said, here's what I'm going to do. Forget God. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do what I want to do when I want to do it with who I want to do it, and you're not going to stop me. And God warns and warns and warns. And then finally, he says, here's what I've got to do. I've got to send judgment. But even in his judgment, there's this reality of mercy that God would preserve Noah and his family. Why? So that he could create the earth and so that he could establish this this covenant with them. Now, I I wanna turn this talk now because I think, I haven't dealt with all of it. You can't do it in one Sunday. We're moving on to this series next week. But I wanted you to understand enough about what is going on in Noah's life and surroundings. But now what I wanna do in the back half of this talk is I want you and I to be able to learn some very valuable lessons from Noah. And here's one of them. And you may want to get it down somewhere. Because of Noah's faith, he persevered even though he could not yet see a future promise or reality. Let me say that one more time. Because of his faith, Noah persevered even though he could not yet see a future promise or a reality. Now, There's a couple of verses that you've you've got to see. This is getting away from Genesis now, but it's tethered to, and and I think it will help us. Uh, Hebrews 11, 6 and 7 says this, And without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to Him must believe that, number one, He exists, and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. By faith, who? By faith, Noah... When warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteous righteousness that comes by the Faith, And there's a phrase here in verse 7 that I would like for you to think about for a moment. It is this phrase, in holy fear. In holy fear, Noah built an ark. In holy fear. Now, what does that mean? Does he just cringe at the thought? Is he just so, you know, does it cause a tremendous trepidation in his heart anytime he thinks about God? You know, does he see God, you know, with a club in his hands? That is not the kind of fear it's being talking about. It is not fear as you and I often think in our understanding of fear. What he's talking about actually here is this reverential awe. In Noah's case, it carries this meaning that he paid close and respectful attention to God's, a uh, God and God's instruction for his life. And it's so important that we understand that. It's so important that we get this, that we learn it from Noah. See, quite often, and I'm just talking to you now, not theologically from the story of, of um, Noah's life, but more practically and pragmatically, and, and that is quite often when people face a calamity or an adversity of some kind, you know what people often want to do? They want to cop an attitude with God. God, if you really cared about me, why does something like this to, have to happen to me? And what people can do is they can lose respect and, and reverence for God. Our, our personal frustration may give birth to a little rebellion, and now the path that a person chooses to pursue is a path not of obedience, but a path of disobedience, and, and I'm going to do what I want to do. You know, if, if I've been trying to serve and love and, you know, God, and this happens to me, then, hey, I think I'm going to reconsider this thing. And I I think, and those of you who have been around here for some time, you've heard me mention this before. I've seen it again and again. It's like, uh, it's like the evil one sends calamity and disaster and destruction into a person's life. The evil one does that. The reality is, listen, the reality is God wants to bless your life. That is the reality. How many of you wave at me? I can see your hand with the lights in here. God wants to bless your life. But you know how you and I get the blessings of God? It's in obedience. You go all the way back to the Old Testament, and this is what it says. Blessings and curses, you get to choose. That's what it says. If you want the blessings of God upon your life, how do you get the blessings of God? You obey what God wants you to do And God's way. And, this, and I'll talk about this in this upcoming series. The problem that we have in the world, and we always blame Adam and Eve, and you've heard me say this before, when we get to heaven, a lot of people are going to be lined up to smack Adam and Eve because of all the problems they brought into the world. But the problem is... The problem with that problem, had we been Adam and Eve, we would have done the same thing. In fact, can I state it further? The reality is you and I continue to do the same thing that Adam and Eve did. God says, you know what? This is the path. And we say, well, God, I'm smarter than you. This is what I want you to do. But God, I want to do it my way, even though God's way is always the best way. Although God's way is always not only the best, but the blessed way. And God said, you want blessings in your life? just just obey me. And God has a good plan. But we get into trouble because we say, well, no, thank you, God, but no thanks. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. And we miss out on the blessings of God. And back to what I was saying just a moment ago is that I've seen this happen so many times where what happens is the evil one brings destruction and calamity uh, into a person's life. And you know what a person does? A person turns and they don't blame the evil one. Who do they get mad at? They get mad at God. I've seen this happen so many times. And the evil, it's like the evil one is almost laughing because he knows. Are you with me? Wave at me like this if you're with me. It's like the evil one causes and creates something that brings destruction and discouragement into a person's life. And what does the person do? They don't blame the evil one, they get mad at God. And the evil one laughed, said, look at what I've done, and now look at who they're mad at. I did it, but they're mad at God. They're frustrated with God. They're saying they're not going to serve God. They're saying they're not going to be as devoted to God. And this happens again and again. I'm going to do it my way. It's, it's, been, it's like saying, you know what? I did my best to follow you. Look, look what it's got me. And people, instead of blaming the one who is uh, the vast majority of the time behind the devastation that's come, the reality is, People blame God. Now, before we're done, I want you to listen to this next phrase from Hebrews 11, 7. This is what the verse says. Things, God references things not seen. Things not seen. What is our mantra for the most part? Our current mantra is basically this. I have to see it before I believe it, all right? We looked at Thomas's life here recently. Thomas said, I'm not going to believe until I see it. I'm not going to believe Jesus is really resurrected from the dead until I see it. Once I see it, then I'm going to believe it. And that is basically, that's, that's not, you could get frustrated with Thomas, but that's basically how you and I are. You know what? When am I going to believe it? I'll tell you when I'll believe it. I'll believe it when I see it. Yet in the domain, and this is what I want you to really get, so, so just bring your thoughts right, right here for just a moment. In the domain of God's kingdom, and it's different, often, and you've got to hear this, often you're going to have to believe something long before you ever see it. It's different with God. We say, you know what, I'll believe it when I see it. But you know what God says to us again and again? But will you believe it even though you've not yet seen it? That's faith. I haven't seen it. Faith, the Bible says, is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things we can't even yet see with our eye. But by faith, we believe that God is able to bring them to pass. For example, you may have a child, you may have a son or daughter that has turned their back on God, that has walked away from God, or chosen never to serve God, and they're headed down a path of destruction, a frightening path. They're far from God, and you want to see them give their life to Jesus, and the reality is, I prayed with so many parents and so many spouses who had, had an unsafe spouse. And they're like, will you pray with me? You know that my husband would come to Christ, that my wife, that my son, my daughter, my parents would come to Christ. And, and I say, of course I will. And the vast majority of the time, you know how I begin that prayer? I begin it something like this. God, this is what I know. I know that you want them to be saved even more than they want them to be saved. God, I know that you love them even more than they love them. So, it is obviously your will. And faith says, you know what? I've not yet seen my son or daughter. I've not yet seen my spouse. I've not yet seen my parents come to Christ. I believe it is the will of God. I know that God has put within the heart of a person the ability to make their own decisions, to accept or reject. But faith says, I am claiming, I am believing. I can't see it yet. I know it is the will of God, so I'm going to believe. I can't see it, but my faith causes me to believe it. Take a person, and maybe this is you, who has lost your job, or you're buried in debt, or your business is on shaky ground right now, and you are longing for some sense of financial peace, some mental rest in your life, and you say, well, you know, things are so complicated. What am I going to do? I got so much debt, and here's my income, and it's going to take me forever, you know, to be able to pay this off, or I I just got laid off, or I've heard they're going to close my company down, or this business that in in times past has had a strong profit margin, no longer has, and I'm I'm wondering what's the future of my company is going to be, and the reality is we've got to trust God. Friends, we've got to trust God that God is not only our divine protector but that God is also our divine resource provider and we may say well I can't see it yet but we still trust God and we believe that it's going to happen God I believe you're big enough I believe you're powerful enough I believe that you operate in, 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 a, uh, in a domain, in a dimension that goes, see, God operates in the realm, realm of the supernatural. Can I tell you a, a word that God has chosen to omit from his own personal dictionary? Here's the word, if you've ever wondered. It is the word impossible because God does not know the word impossible. All things are possible with God. They just are. You may have a lingering illness. You remember a time when you had more energy and less pain. How many of you remember those days? More energy and less pain. But now you wonder, am I ever going to feel good again? Am I going to get negative report after negative report every time I go to the doctor? You know, what's going to happen? And faith says, you know what? I'm just going to trust God. I'm going to believe. I haven't seen. You may have been sick for so long, you don't even think that you may be able to be healed or whole again. And faith says, you know what? I know the way that it looks like, but I'm going to believe in something that I have not yet seen. Please hear me on this. Anybody can believe once they've seen, but those who remain steadfast and persevere best are those who, like Noah, chose to believe in something even before they could ever see it. Noah had never seen a flood before. As I mentioned to you, possibly never even seen rain. It is possible, as I mentioned to you, that the earth at this time, up until this time, had been watered and refreshed by these subterranean sources. I really like what somebody has said. I I like this statement. Somebody has written this. Noah was not the only one who persevered. Even the snail reached the ark. Even the snail made it. A book that I picked up some time ago, and I brought this statement with me. It says this, if you are a person, if you are a person, well, that's the wrong statement. I'm not going to read it then. (laughs) What can we learn from Noah that will help us to break through barriers and obstacles in our life? It's okay to ask why. If you're going through a challenge in your faith and your family, in your health, in your business, it's okay to ask why. You can give voice to your frustrations and your confusion. See, if you, you know, I, I just feel this way. If you already feel it, why don't you go ahead and tell God because God already knows anyhow. You're not going to say, God, I'm really worried. I'm really frustrated. I'm really, really bothered. I'm really, and God's going to say, really? I never, I never knew that. Thank you for telling me. I know now. Go ahead and tell him. It's all right, but you do not want to walk down the road of rebellion. Noah said this, in the face of doubts, and maybe even ridicule, maybe lots of ridicule, and all the intangibles. Noah said, I'm going to press ahead. I'm going to persevere. I don't know what an ark is. I've never seen an ark. Never, never read about an ark. Never, you know, never ark. Don't even know what it is. But God said, build one. And He gave me the dimension, so I'm going to build it. God told me to build it because it's going to rain. Never seen rain. Don't know what rain is, but rain's coming and I haven't seen it. But I believe. In the face of doubts and ridicule and intangibles, he said, I'm going to keep moving forward. And maybe you've been asking God for something in your life and you've not seen it yet. But don't give up. Keep going. Keep on believing. Some of you, you sense that God has given you a dream. And your dream has not yet come to fruition. Here's what I want to say to you today. Don't. Give up on your dream. Just because your dream hasn't come into reality yet doesn't mean that God is not going to fulfill it. Here's what I've learned about God a long time ago. I have my calendar, and God has His. And sometimes the two don't line up. My nature is I, I'd like for God to do it when? Now. But God who knows all things. Don't give up on your dream. Don't give up on your hope. I know you haven't yet seen it, but you keep believing. There's a God in heaven that loves you and cares about you. You stand to your feet. I want to pray for you today. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're up against. Next week, you're going to be so encouraged. I'm going to take you out. We just looked at a couple of verses in Hebrews this morning. I'm taking you back to Hebrews. I'm going to read 10 verses out of Hebrews that are incredible verses. And one of the things it's going to tell you, and you're going to be encouraged with this, one of the points, I give it to you ahead of time, is that heaven is rooting for you. Heaven is watching you, and heaven is rooting for you. And you're going to make it. And you are. And I don't know what your challenge is today, but this is what I know, that God loves you. And you fall within the context of this covenant that God said that he's making with creation. He said, in fact, he goes on to another, and this is a whole different deal. I'm not certainly going to get into today because we're out of time. God said, in the past, I've put my laws and my commands on tablets of stone. But now I'm going to put it on your hearts. I'm forging this covenant of love in relationship with you. I want to pray for you right where you're at. Father, thank you for this day. I know that there are many, many people here today that are hurting, many people that are struggling, many people that are worried, many people that are faced with challenges and frustrations and problems, and at times they don't know where to turn. I pray that they'll turn to you. People that are discouraged and say, say, why do I just keep putting one foot in front of the other? Because, God, you are there helping them and you're going to help them every step of the way. People, God, who are worried and afraid, and if they could only hear you say, once again, I've not given you that spirit of fear. I've given you power and love and of a sound mind, and I am able to save your loved one, and I am able to help your business, and I am able to heal your body, and I am able to help you with wisdom. I am the one that is able to put your relationships in order. I am the God that cares about you. I am the God that loves you and I will help you. And God, pray that every person will receive that today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. 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 Let's give God a hand. Can we do it? Thank you, God. We bless your name. Love you, everybody. Have an awesome week. See you right back here next Sunday.